0: What's up Achievers? It's me, your host and friend, Billy Power. Welcome to episode 23 of the Urban Achiever Show. This is the show where we ask questions like, what does it all mean? Why am I here? How did this happen? And maybe, do you think my pastor has narcissistic personality disorder? Or can a book full of imperfect people really be perfect? The program this week is the second hour of my conversation with Jeff Becker, also known as Jeff Suffering. If you did not catch that first hour, please go back and listen to part one. When we left off, Jeff was just getting into the beginning of his involvement with Pastor Mark Driscoll and the now dismantled Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington. So that's where we will pick it right back up. So ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce to you once again a man who values relationship over getting shit done someone who will stay in the building while it's burning down around him a guy who knows what it's like to share a futon my friend and a self-proclaimed grace junkie mr jeff betker the uh alternative punk uh band crowd. <laughs> yeah, it didn't
1: it, yeah, it totally didn't start that way like it, it started, you know. I mean, me and Matt Johnson showed up there. Um Matt had heard about it and we were living in the same house and he had heard about it cuz actually Dave Bazan played music there one week or something and so our friend Dave had <laughs> oh, wow. had played music. <laughs> Sorry, that's just funny in hindsight. Yeah, totally, but he he had you know like he was involved with Calvary a ton in the mm-hmm. back. I mean me and Dave um, when Pedro the Lion had started in ninety pound wuss there was this guy. Uh, you remember Joel? Um, why can't I remember? Anyways, there was this guy who organized some stuff. Oh the, yeah. yeah, he played drums and roadside. Joel the first and record, roadside. Yeah, 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 the yeah, first yeah. record, yeah. Anyway, he uh, he was going to do this like missionary trip to Russia, and he had. Asked 90 pound Wilson Pedro the lion to go. And we were all working on some logistics and figuring out it never
0: happened. But, um, I remember that actually him organizing that.
1: Yeah. So that thing was sort of a possibility and Dave and I got to know each other. And I really liked what Dave had done in that band with Eben and, um, Damien mm-hmm. when he played drums, was it called Coolidge? Was that what it was called or something like yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so Linus and cool. I know there was all these different bands. <laughs> yeah, totally. But I really liked what they were doing. And, um, i didn't really i wasn't a fan of pedro or really bazan's music even to this day but i like him a lot and i i appreciate his candor and his honesty and everything that he's done ever since the day and all the conversations that i i have with him i've always appreciated but anyways that that whole thing was um that's how matt and i ended up coming and he did some worship songs or at least we heard and then um Mm. I didn't witness it, so he may have another story. I just I just heard that yeah. that, that was the case, and so that uh, we checked out this place, and yeah. um, Mark was really nice and came up and met us right on. He used to shake everybody's hand and um, go out to coffee with people early on, so mm-hmm. we ended up getting coffee with him. And you know, early on, he was known as the cussing pastor, and I actually appreciated that his candor in that of being him and sort of a blue collar kind of guy that just like. I mean, I remember what solidified one that this was my peeps was that, um, you know, we came home from a tour once and the church actually helped us out and gave us some money. And cause we were broke, it didn't work out very well. That tour, it was 90 pound was, and Matt was, um, staying in his basement in Driscoll's basement at the time. And, um, we come home and Mark's mowing the lawn and he says, I fucking hate mowing the lawn. This sucks. And I was like, that's my pastor. Yep. This is where I'm at. Um, it was little things and and you know when it started it was sort of this church for the unchurched and that's we felt like this middle ground we felt like we were too Christian for the non-Christians and not Christian enough for for the Christians and always feeling that tension yeah. and it was polarizing and so it was nice to be around some people who appreciated things and and you know um This was like around us... the time
0: you were doing like raft the Dead Monkeys too.
1: Uh we it was still like we started going in 97 so okay. it was like a um like after the first year that um mars hill was around we started going they had just moved to a church in north of the or east of the u district in that little place called laurelhurst mm. in seattle and so that wasn't that far from our house we could take a bus there or a long walk you know it was in the evening and there was like candelabras big black candelabras there was art um mm-hmm. there was a painter that used to paint and like um show this art there was a heavy sense of like um traditionally valuing orthodox Eastern Orthodox Christianity and some and, and a a pull from some early church fathers at the time. It was part of um what er, early on became like the emergent church. There was it was part of that early on and then went its own way. There was mm-hmm. these things about it that were just um really resonated with my soul and wanting to be at church. And it wasn't the Calvary thing that was the other church that we had friends with, and there was some relational strain there and some other stuff and this this um felt new and fresh and here's this guy going out to coffee with us and the other pastor Leif Moy he did the same thing and like they appreciated that we played music in the city and these 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 bands and they made this open offer if you ever want to make music here or whatever like you can and it was it didn't feel dogmatic it didn't feel a sense of pragmatism to go kick ass for Jesus and conquer the world <laughs> it, it felt like Acceptance and love. Uh-huh. Weird. And I am a person who, um, you know, is very very long committed to things that I do. Even when they're falling apart all around me. I- I'm very dedicated and loyal and I'm very yeah. um relationally oriented. I value mm-hmm. relationship more than getting shit done. And yep. I know that more about myself now, I don't think I could have articulated it in those simple terms back then, but that's kind of how I'm wired. Everybody's wired a little differently. But um, I'm wired like that too. Yeah. So those things I valued, right? And going there, it's like, these are my people. And over the years, as, as things got more popular and you're believing sort of a, a narrative, because I, I don't know any different this, um, I don't know that we're not the least church city in America. And apparently we were. And a lot of statistics were used sort of to justify
0: and understand the phenomenon. Uh, it was always like Portland and Seattle competing year after year for who's going to be the least um, church attendance. Yeah. And that's, of course, of what they can actually measure that people are actually giving them the data. So who knows?
1: Yeah, it's all pretty disgusting now when I think of it. And it reminds me of in the Old Testament when, you know, God basically said to David, don't take a census. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Yeah. So there was there was a lot of authenticity and a lot of care. And, you know, at one point here I am going on tour in these bands broke as hell living on a man. I shared a bed with somebody for years of my life like me and my friend james (laughs) same room futon mattress on the floor we didn't even have a futon and we shared the same bed we're broke ass and then later like i moved in when we moved out of that hiawatha house i moved in with uh doug and jonathan ford from roadside monument yep Doug Lorig and John Ford. And um, I don't know how this happened, but Doug had the small room and we would take, Doug would sleep in his bed and I would take the um, cushions off the couch and put them on the floor next to him and sleep on that. (laughs) Um, Because Jonathan had the large room and would stay up at, we would get up early to go to work and it might have been after he quit the mill room at tooth and nail or during but at some point he just stayed up forever and would be loud and do what he wanted in this large room that none of us I don't know it was just really weird and somehow me and Doug just shared this tiny closet of a room um and that's how I lived for years man like I don't I don't need much and I don't really it's it's always interesting as life progresses but anyway so there I am broke worked at a bagel shop between tour and stuff like that and uh um Mark actually at one point I know that he was raising support or getting support from another church and not making a full income at some point and his wife was working and they had probably had their first child by then he in a Denny's restaurant handed me a pile of cash to buy Teresa a wedding ring because I already had one on layaway and the only reason I hadn't asked her to marry me was because um I didn't have enough money to go pick up the damn ring. So, I'm telling you like there's these relationships of like actual authentic like kind gestures and love that were there. And so I have like nothing but um fond memories and and then it's much later as as the thing grows and there's hierarchical systems and trying to make it grow more and then, you know, him using rhetoric in such a way to manipulate and control, which I believe was going on from the pulpit early on now and I just didn't know it. Um or see it
0: it was more subtle maybe
1: yeah and most of it has to do with dogma and doctrine and the inability to hold mystery really outside and i don't know what what um you know maybe he's mentally ill and has narcissistic personality disorder or something I don't know like that's
0: been a speculation (laughs) this is something that like for a long time it was particularly mysterious to me like the whole neo-Calvinist hardcore theology to me the whole message of the gospel is that grace is the thing that's important but it just seems like yeah sure there's grace and everything but as long as you believe you know that in predestination and as long as you believe in all these other doctrinal things and whatever and it how are you able to put aside a lot of that stuff or did you you at some point sort of buy into all that as well.
1: Well, it wasn't necessarily present at the beginning as 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 obvious. He was much more interested in cultural relevancy, so he was much more into practical theology and making it um about the everyday, but yet he subscribed to a sense of orthodoxy in in creedal thinking that mm-hmm. um, you know, tied right into the from the early church and creedal thought to The Reformation, and when um, you
0: say creedal thought, you're talking like the Nicene Creed, like the yeah, and the Apostles' Creed,
1: right? So some of
0: that stuff that's much more mysterious
1: in nature, and Mm -hmm. um, what he would do is be able to articulate pretty clearly from Scripture where it actually backs up the idea of the Trinity. So you're seeing those things in these, and you start, wow, yeah, it's right there. Oh, that's cool. Like, and we weren't used to necessarily listening to any theologian type type of conversations at that time or at least i wasn't for sure and so suddenly i'm starting to read these books that are um you know we we like read the celtic way of evangelism and early on like all these really interesting things that had a tie to the early church and then suddenly you you're kind of getting mixed in some church history with (laughs) um some old doctrinal thought um specifically from the reformation and specifically from calvin which um for good and bad in all all aspects of Christianity have some rich heritage and tradition that we can learn from and grow in, and all of it has beauty. I think one of the wonderful things about the Calvinist train of thought and the thing that resonated with me the most when I got it was this thing in what they call as the five points of Calvinism or the, the tulip, and the, because each one starts with one of those letters. And the P is the perseverance of the saints, which mm-hmm. essentially means once saved, always saved. Mm -hmm. So it essentially basically says that you can't lose your salvation. Um, That suddenly changes everything because it's like, oh, God saves. Do with that can go a whole lot of ways because of the, the um total depravity of the unconditional election and the limited atonement, oh like god irresistible grace with all those kind of things. <laughs> that yeah. one thing can make it such an asshole ish type of idea when really it is, I I believe now to have an open hand about who God saved and potentially even from scripture it could be like C.S. Lewis train of thought or G.K. Chesterton which says definitely Christ is possibly his work on the cross could be for every single human being period which then leads you to what Rob Bell believes or or mm. or at least asks questions around which aren't scary at all and some some somehow we made all these things out to be, no, we got the right answers. We got this thing. I was never 100% comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And yet I saw the the way that people expounded the scripture and exegeted it. And I thought, well, they must know something that I don't know. And um, <laughs> I would look at it and I would see their logical arguments and understand but more so the drive was always the community when things were messed up which they were for a long time and i would see things i would be more driven by um less i've always been a grace junkie and now more than ever because i also obviously co-opted and was complicit to being a pharisee and um acted in such in many ways that um now I'm even more of a grace chunky So
0: <laughs> now by that, do you mean by that, do you mean that like you were aware of like things that were abusive in some nature that were going on or that you heard were going on or had first knowledge of going on, but you continued to kind of be there and, and then by, or sort of complicit by continuing to participate or be a part of the church. Is that what you're saying? Or?
1: Well, well, some of it, um, I I guess I've always believed less about the, um, you know, like I never give a crap about whether somebody drank alcohol or was a drug addict or or whatever that, you know, I I didn't care before going Mars Hill and all this stuff. I didn't care about if someone was gay or whatever, like that didn't matter to me. Like certainly the grace of God in Christ is sufficient enough for all things. And I didn't even necessarily even think homosexuality was a sin before I went to Mars Hill and it brought up all these questions. And so... I don't necessarily think that now (laughs) there's a lot of confusion post Mars Hill about that stuff. And I'm actually authentically working it out by actually paying attention to the arguments from other sides, Mm -hmm. but I didn't. So what I, what I got was this one train of theological thought that I dove into and started studying. And there's some beautiful things there, but I always resonated less about the law and more about. God's grace in Christ. That's just the way I've always been. And so, yes, there was an element of being gracious to people when they do stupid shit or are an asshole. Like, a lot of grace. Um, and that's fine, it, particularly when it looks like there's repentance by expressed um, mistakes were made. <laughs> so I think it's the line <laughs> that's used, right? Um, mistakes were made. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I also loved, you know, like I said, one of the attractive things was that candor boldness and that sarcasm and that wit and that asshole type thing that are the same exact reasons why I love the Dead Kennedys and Black Flag and freaking the crucifix like all that stuff that music that i grew up loving and listening to had an element of candor and authenticity that said fuck you guys you're wrong and i'm right and there was there's something attractive about that when it came to my faith of like this idea of like we're not going to be a bunch of pussies we're going to be strong and like kick some ass now now knowing That, that is not a fruit of the spirit. (laughs) Are you sure that's not in there? Yeah. There's no kicking ass for Jesus and taking names. Um, weird. There is gentleness. Um, and those, those things, I I thought kicking ass was one of the fruits of the spirit. Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, man. It's, it's so devastating to think back, like, You know, I feel like I can be culturally loose with a lot of stuff, but now I have a hard time even, like, um, like thinking that there is actual, like, MMA fighters out there that are pastors. Like, for some reason, that rubs me the wrong way. And, and, and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and i don't and, and i don't i wonder if it came and was justified because of the stuff that we did at mars hill because mm-hmm. most of those people are definitely influenced by mark driscoll and acts 29 and that kind of thing a lot of them are a part of those networks and and i don't sure. know what i like it seems to me now post that a pastor type person um is somebody who's a part of a community of believers that happens to be the one that those folks recognize as the one that has some sort of nerd quality to them that wants to read history <laughs> and Old Testament theology and right. understand how that connects to Jesus Christ and then tell you about it and counsel you in a way that's gentle and kind and loving. Not what we did. Like an exegetical sermon is just a freaking lecture. Like you can you don't have to do that in a church, right? You can have the the ten minute homilies like at a at a mass. Yeah. But we did this thing where we thought most of it was like a that inerrancy of scripture doctrine. Um, oh. I don't know if I I believe that in the way I once did. I think I I definitely believe scripture is authoritative, but I I know that Jesus speaks to me um through the world around me, through other people, and through reading his word and through silence and solitude but also in busyness and all this stuff like he's constant and and he's always affirming and and what i mean by speak is is touching my heart in ways that Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I am kind of a charismatic, so I don't. It doesn't bother me when somebody says they heard from God or whatever. What what I want to do is check to see: did it tell you that you're loved and known and accepted? Because if it said that, that sounds awesome. <laughs> or
0: did it tell you, you should go murder a bunch of people?
1: Yeah, or 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 be a dick, or like build an empire, or and like Christ is. It's all about humility and. If it's personal about like a a repentance, if you feel like, well, God, God really laid on my heart that I should be more kind to people. Yes. That's awesome that he did that. That sounds right. You know, but that does sound right. Yeah. yeah. But, um, God laid it on my heart to build this empire and, you know, plant a church. And, and I don't, I don't know that that, like, that sounds like something you want to do. You want to plant a church and God will be with you in that, just like he's with me and the things that i do he's there and if you're an honest like loving kind person and i'd love to affirm that and be with you but um i don't think that's what was going on i feel like there was this empire building that was a self-justified work Mm -hmm. and you can't get away from biblical rhetoric but this inerrancy of scripture idea there's a problem have you heard of um that book um Christian Smith wrote it. He's a sociologist who was an evangelical Christian and became Catholic. It's called The Bible Made Impossible. Great book. Really interesting. sounds awesome. Yeah, it's 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 great because what it points out is the simple fact that we live in a day of pluralism. And there's a problem with evangelical Christianity in particular, of taking the Bible so um as inerrant because mm-hmm. what it means is each sect and each little thing, they hold to one uh, you know, multiple, probably ten or twenty of like over 4 million different doctrines, right? Mm-hmm. And not all those doctrines, those 4 million are cohesive and work together, but they've been expounded on people who believe that they're that they're at the root of what the word of God is. And what they forget is that no, it's a story telling of God being incarnated in human history and a people Israel. Mm-hmm. Those are the stories. Those are the stories of what it tells, and they're connected. And how do you connect the dots? It's not through morality and laws and doctrine. It's actually through the narrative, which is much more mysterious. Sure. So biblical authority,
0: maybe, but inerrancy weird. I've never understood the importance of that, to be honest. Well, I don't don't understand why they feel like everything hinges on that. The whole thing was passed down by oral tradition. It's as if no one's ever heard of that game, Telephone. Yeah, I know. Like, even in my own life, I don't even remember stuff. You and I don't even remember stuff that happened, like, 20 years ago. Like, remember that show with the thing? I don't know. Did they play that song? I don't know. I don't remember. This is the way I remember it now. You know what I mean? Like, why would you even think it's even plausible? I don't think any of that matters. I I agree. What you believe in, you believe in the right stuff, I I could believe in in aliens. I could believe all kinds of weird shit, at least as far as I understand it. If I accept Christ's grace and and try to love people and to follow him and have been filled with the Holy Spirit and whatever, it doesn't matter. Why does it matter? Yeah.
1: (laughs) I don't know but it it felt really it felt really nice at the time to have like some sort of bit of um, framework or something truth in a way that was seemed to have an argument backed biblically well what it does here's here's what i really think of it now first of all to let me finish that thought is i do believe that that view of biblical inerrancy and, and the high authoritative thing calling for pastor mm-hmm. that was there um sort of made it easily um, you easily then listened to the pastor who was extrapolating, expounding, and exegeting scripture in a particular way. And when he would relate it to modern culture and things happening today and things going on um, right now in our world and particularly in our lives, it, it's very easy to, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and you sort of like, there's a lot of shame and guilt and condemnation instead of the freedom that ought to come to just be you. But I think a lot of it, in my opinion now, post Mars Hill is a lot of it has to do with the culture of evangelical Christianity that believes in inerrancy of scripture instead of, um, and holds to it like close handed instead of, instead of letting it loose and, and being okay with that because, um it leads to all sorts of people exegeting with that hard belief that this is what God is saying. I'm right because this is what scripture says. And mm-hmm. they, they're they not looking at the fact that, no, God, if God is sovereign over all things, we happen to live in a pluralistic culture and age for a reason. And this mm-hmm. is where all of history has led us. And are you yeah. saying that God's not in charge of that? Like The human understanding of there wasn't some golden age in modernism. There wasn't some golden age in in before modernism or pre-industrial era or the early church. It's all leading up to now. And here we are and we find ourselves right now. And certainly the grace of God is more well known and the kingdom of God is more revealed than it once was at some point. And so the narrative that the world's going to hell in a handbasket just sounds like bullshit now to me. It sounds like No, I actually believe in this love, hope, grace, and mercy, and that God's actually building his kingdom in such a way that one day it'll be fully realized. And there's a lot of mystery in that, and I don't understand it. But at least every image bearer of God, which is every human made, has dignity, worth, value, and he loves them and certainly he's sufficient enough in the work that he's done in his incarnation to save them however he chooses and there's a lot more mystery about what that looks like and who goes where and how that like even what is the where that they go like do we even go anywhere like who knows like there's all (laughs) these things that um, Mm. in that biblical inerrancy you take every jot and tittle as truth and you don't necessarily weed um, weave the scripture like that Paul says you take his pragmatics and you just pull them out and let them be, and you don't weave the whole story, including the, mm-hmm. the um, cultural context and stuff. You just sort of believe that he's saying these racist, sexist <laughs> things sure. Yeah. And, 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 you know, a lot of my friends and, and, um, people who are biblicists don't like this kind of talk and they get pissed off. Well, what's that? Is that the fruit of the spirit? Like, I I don't know. I'm not pissed at them. I just know what it has done in my own life. And it's been destructive and has ruined relationships in a way that, Mm -hmm. um, God gave me those relationships to love and have authentic curiosity for other people. And suddenly out of my self-righteousness of Mm -hmm. thinking that I knew something. Um, and you know, it was promulgated by uh, like, you're in a group of people and the narrative story that you're telling of the gospel is very influential so we told this story that was mma fighter jesus come to kick everyone's ass and make him new was (laughs) that's the story that we told and we acted like it not the narrative story of that's a way to tell the gospel but i i don't think it's really the most healthy or beneficial or best way and it's definitely um wreaked havoc and it's reaped what it's sown so there's there, there's some things that but anyways with with inerrancy i look at it now like um you know how some people like uh Catholic tradition actually believes that in the Eucharist, that it becomes the body and blood of Christ in you. Right. There's a mystery that I don't understand there and I can't relate to. And yet it's beautiful. Like if that's mm-hmm. true, that's a really cool thing. I want to believe that just like the idea of infant baptism amongst, um, Orthodox, you know, and many Christian people, Catholics, yeah. um, Lutherans, all that stuff. They believe that these people are being baptized into the community and something's going on there that I don't understand. And I don't believe, and I don't, and there's a mystery. Inerrancy is also a mystery. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. If you actually believe that... Every jot and tittle of the Bible is there. There's a mystery and you got to treat it as such a mystery and, and recognize that it's mysterious and be able to open that up. And that's what I think about those different traditions is that every tradition of faith has a particular mystery that an understanding of something that doesn't make sense to the rest of us Mm -hmm. that actually can be used in a positive ways. If held openly with mystery and recognizing that it's mystery, and that's not the thing you have faith in. Because the Bible's not what we ought to have faith in. It's actually the incarnation of God, which is yeah. Jesus Christ. And the <laughs> the Bible is an informative story that tells us about that, the New Testament. And the Old Testament yeah. tells us, shows us our desperate need for that reconciliation and restoration in Christ. And, and we, yeah, you're right. I mean, I got duped. I got put in a place of not being true to who I am. Mm-hmm because I wanted my um, faith in Christ to matter in some way that was other than how I'm wired for it to matter. Mm-hmm. And so I easily, you know, and I, I'm a Northwesterner, man, and I come from the, the grunge <laughs> decade, right? I'm like, like those were my formative years. I'm self-deprecating. So I'm the first person to think, oh, these people must know what they're talking about. Right, right. And, and it was hard to come to a place of, I grew up in evangelical independent church, right? There's a high sense of sin in those those churches in that that yes. Calvinism tradition. They focus a lot on sin and they would tell you yes. that they don't, you're but fallen they do. And
0: evil and sinful and and yeah, all your these nature. Things. Yeah. So
1: you you start you you kind of have that narrative already in place and then you um go to this place that's affirming and you're people and finally I'm not not Christian enough or too Christian. I actually fit in. Yeah. Like finally my faith matters and these people understand it and are affirming of me playing music out in the context that I do. In particular, while I was in raft of dead monkeys, I worked at Mars Hill. Right. Like, and they, they knew that I wasn't, I'm not dualistic. I'm pretty open about what I'm doing. Sure. And they paid me and I worked there at that club, the paradox. Yeah. And was pretty much a deacon in the church and functioned as such. And was sitting there saying "fuck shit, damn cuss, spit," showing my
0: butt on stage,
1: <laughs> and wrapped
0: up in monkeys, being yeah. a ridiculous cut, cutting yourself open and, and creating biohazards at the uh, music venue, things like that. Yeah, totally. So there, there, and there's that acceptance in that that um
1: thing, and I wonder, looking back, if it was we were the people around that they perceived as being culturally relevant and we were used. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I wasn't treated as such. Yeah. So it could be the storyline, but that's pretty nefarious of me thinking that, um, that's, that's pretty nefarious of somebody. And I don't, I have more hope even for, um, Mark at this <laughs> you don't, time. You, you don't that. even want to go that. Yeah. <laughs> it's possible. And I, I could get that's where true. the ramifications could go and that's, that's, that's okay. Some people actually do believe that. And I don't know, like it's possible. Yeah. But um, I don't regret the experiences that I've had or even doing Mars Hill. I'm sad by um some of the things that we did, but it informed me to a point now where I feel liberated and free, man. Like, I feel like if I didn't go there, I wouldn't have seen evangelical Christianity in the light that I see it now, which is mm-hmm. a broken system, which doesn't yeah. honor the context of where it finds itself in America. It wants something that's antiquated. It wants something and desires to preserve, not... The gospel but tradition and that's that's not i'm not interested in that i I don't i don't care and it's probably not every quote evangelical christian because obviously i'm here and i'm still whether (laughs) that's my that's where I've been, I, I raised support for a living as a missionary in the city of Seattle. Mm-hmm. So through an evangelical Christian organization. So I, I, I am still an independent evangelical Christian in many senses of what people would call, yeah. but I'm also, I feel akin to being Catholic and um, you know, I was baptized in the Catholic church and I went to mass there this Sunday. So I was re-baptized when he sprinkles this stuff. I mean, <laughs> not this Sunday, but on Easter they do that whole thing. So there's, there's things like I just resonate with Christ Mm-hmm. And I don't care if so, how somebody practices, but I do I, I do think that you ought to be challenged if you're an asshole.
0: Um, yeah. And I did it. <laughs> I always felt like uh, I love Catholic churches and I love going to them. I always feel like my overwhelming feeling no and I've gone to a lot of them. I like to go to St. Patrick's every year uh, in New York um, around Christmas time. I always go in there and just have a little quiet time and like whatever. And I, I always have the feeling that when I'm there that that like God lives there. That sounds weird, I'm sure, but like, <laughs> I don't have that feeling when I'm at the movie theater where my wife and I go to church and they got the rock band and the whole thing, and I'm just like, Ugh, is is God here really? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I know He is, but yeah. you know, um, the one thing I just wanted to say, I, I, it's just been bugging me to say it, but um, the thing that always kind of bothered me about the whole idea that it's important for inerrancy and all the stuff and whatever and and even to an extent, Calvinism, all stuff is the trust that modern people are placing in, in people that were here a long time ago and didn't really have access to all the information. You know, (laughs) Calvin's just one guy. And these people that put this stuff together, just, they're just people that put it together and it may be God inspired and it may be all these things, but like the story is what's important. Not whether every little thing is accurate or whether every little, you know, it's like, uh, so much stuff is being used to condemn people from the scriptures that was stuff that wasn't even written for them. You know, it's like a Levitical law is not for you and me now in 2015. It just isn't, you know, I mean, I know people disagree with that, but I don't don't think you can look at it and, and realistically think that these weird rules about fish and, you know, all this stuff is like, is for you and me in a modern society. I mean, it just isn't.
1: I agree. I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. I know that, um, I was more enamored by the community and the, I mean, we had a lot of great time and a lot of great friends and a lot of great things that happened there and i don't regret any of that it bums me out that i didn't understand love acceptance forgiveness and that everything had an agenda mm-hmm. um
0: I don't mean that as a condemnation of you at all. By the way, I just, no, totally. I'm always been uh, mystified as to why it's important and and how people just are able to take the leap without thinking that you know. Yeah,
1: I, know. I I agree. It's not it's not a it's it's those things that are what they forget is they they don't hold to the mystery anymore and they they hold it um, as truth that for some reason seems self evident because of the. Um, the way that they read scripture and understand mm-hmm. it when, you know, it's a complicated story and it's a complicated thing that what is the actual message of it? How does the <laughs> old, old New Testament and Old Testament tie together? And, and I do believe that it's much more about this fairy tale narrative that God loves human beings that he made so much that he enters into human history in such a way that he was just one of us, like a God that actually became one of us. Mm-hmm. That's scandalous even even the uh, theories of atonement for what actually happened in Christ's death burial and resurrection those are massive and all over the place and they're all theories mm-hmm. that's all that they are like we don't really actually know like but we end up believing this this incarnation that the historical Jesus that existed and walked the earth is actually God and man. Mm -hmm. And we do believe that he died and something radical happened when he died and resurrected from the dead and ascended to heaven. That's Christianity. Mm -hmm. Like that Jesus, those things are it. And everything else that around there is a lot of, um, it takes a lot of scholars and a lot of deep thinkers that should ought to be, um, you can write books and stuff, but I think that And do all that. But I think the air of it should be more or less the air of like having a conversation around beers with friends. Like we're talking shit. That's what we're doing. (laughs) We're imagining and dreaming and we're talking shit and we're trying to connect some dots. And every once in a while there's profound wisdom, but the profound wisdom is always the same. God loves you. Mm -hmm. He understands you. Sure. He knows you. He's with you. Regardless of what you do, you're not owned by the things you do, the things that people put on you. You're not owned by that. Mm-hmm. You can always change. And certainly there's ramifications here on earth for people being assholes and doing stupid shit. But that doesn't mean that um, even in in a prison cell, right? Like you can't suddenly have a change of heart that decides to pour out and love people and honor God. Like, no, that, that can happen. Like... <laughs> It's fine.
0: Do you imagine a scenario, Jeff, where you stand before God on Judgment Day and he tells you the reason that you've been disqualified is that you just simply loved and accepted people too much and you didn't correct them enough on having the right theology? Do you even remotely uh, envision a scenario like that ever taking place for anybody ever? Absolutely not. (laughs) So, so, so you know what I mean? Yep. I know what you mean. It's like, that's like, that's like a gamble that I'm totally willing to take. I am too. I just didn't, I just didn't straighten out stuff, people enough and I just didn't point out to them the error of their, you know, whatever it is they believe. Yep. And, uh, instead I just, you know, it's too nice. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I love, um, I love
1: the way C.S. Lewis in, in that book, Prince Caspian paints out, uh, this, sort of universal atonement idea, right? Like it's mm-hmm. what he, what he does is basically um, says, okay, there's these horrible rulers that are oppressive evil dictators that, that are ruling over this kingdom. Suddenly the true ruler of the kingdom comes home, instills law and order, in a way that's gracious and kind and even invites all these terrible rulers who marginalized and hurt people and belittled them and were oppressive. Like he says, Oh yeah, you guys are welcome in the kingdom too. You can stay. And what do they do? They leave because they want nothing to do with it. (laughs) Plain and simple. (laughs) That's not for me. (laughs) Like, no, I I don't want that. I'd rather be an asshole and keep in my pride and arrogance and, and not be welcome in this beautiful place that you've just transformed. So that, that's, um, that, if there's any sort of narrative on hell that makes more sense where I'm at right now, mm-hmm. it's that idea that hell is somewhere ordained and given to those who want nothing to do with the kingdom. Right. And it's not necessarily this terrible gnashing of teeth. It's just separation. And sure. that could mean a lot of things.
0: Um, mm, could mean being extinguished.
1: Who knows? Yes. Yeah, it could be annihilationism and all that stuff. Like That's the the beauty about Christianity is that there is all these crazy things. But when it comes down to it, it's really about loving God and loving God loving your neighbor. Why? Because Jesus did. Like, right. we believe in this incarnation, which is mystery enough. Like, believe in that. That's crazy.
2: Everything-
0: handle much more than that. <laughs> yeah, I just, I love the simplicity of, uh, that being enough, you know, I just think it is enough. It's, it's plenty. You know? I agree. It's plenty. And I could bask the rest of my life
1: in that, like going, this is scandalous. This is totally bizarre.
0: <laughs> like I am forgiven and loved like in Christ. That's crazy. I think that, you know, people in general take Comfort in having everything laid out and explained, and having it all make sense, and all that kind of stuff, and whatever. And yep. and um, I think if there's anything we can be encouraged by is that there seems to be a, a movement, or whatever you want to call it, there seems to be more rejecting of everything having to fit. And more embracing of doubt and not necessarily having to have every little piece fit and every little thing support the other thing and all that kind of stuff and whatever. And to be OK with that, to be OK with like We don't have all the answers. We don't know. We can't. No one's died and come back and, and explained it all to everybody, how it all works. You know, it's like yeah. uh, we don't know that it, it is a mystery. And I, and I think that's fine. I think it's okay for us to live yep. in that kind of tension, you know.
1: Systematic theology I think is antiquated and presuppositional apologetics are antiquated at this point and what Christianity de- generally misses out on is the fact that we are here. We live in a pluralistic society. Our faith can be refuted and doesn't need to be accepted and it doesn't change that it's our faith. Right. Like we don't have to have like I think more of the the belief of like scripture when it talks about having an answer for your faith. Like, I think it's more talking about the willingness to discuss what you believe.
0: Right. Like
1: that's, or, different tell, than, or
0: tell your own story, what your yeah. experience has been, how God has changed you, how God has shown his grace in your life. Yep. You know, what prayers he's answered in your life. Cause there's nothing better than a good story. You know, it's I
1: don't like, need to convince anybody about the existence of Jesus Christ or that he's God. I don't need to convince no one like never mm-hmm. in my life ever again. will the, I hope that that will not be a motivator that somehow in my wonderful, amazing articulation that I'm so powerful will be able to persuade somebody of what I believe. Like... (laughs) just not that's not even that's not even an in, in interest and i can't believe that it was at one point um and it's an interest for most christians in america like they they think yeah. they put a value on it instead of loving and accepting people where they're at and letting god do that work if somebody's transformed in such a way that they believe this crazy thing i believe mm-hmm. um that's a beautiful thing that we can celebrate and you know what if they're not and their life has some awesome things going on it and they're in You can celebrate that too. And you can celebrate their, you know, not celebrate, but you can be with them in their burdens and their pain and their suffering. Like Mm -hmm. who has God placed you with in your neighborhood right there where you live in the communities that you're a part of through whatever various networks you're in. in. How do you value place, people, and presence? Like Mm -hmm. just being present. And I think Mars missed it by, um, I mean, we did that. That's why I stayed there. There was that element happening. Right. But we ended up in the end, we essentially were complicit in making Mark a whore by basically selling him as a commodity, mm-hmm. by utilizing that oratorical, that oratory gift that he has because he's a good speaker mm-hmm. and he's funny and, you know, he's confident and, and he's got all the skills of, of Chris Rock, right? Like, right. <laughs> so he's got that preacher swag or whatever. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and it's it's because he practiced all that crap he practiced all that stuff and he wanted that stuff and we gave it to him and we gave him power and influence and um we didn't need to we could have spoken up at any time and left and um some people did throughout the whole entire history and it's interesting to Mm -hmm. see how they were ostracized and i'm so thankful that a year before the the door shut a year and a few months teresa and i had left and um You know, I wrote a blog of my own repentance and I was basically, I, I actually outed them on their result source campaign, which was the thing where they bought a bunch of, um, so it was the same week that Janet Metford, um, brought up the plagiarism to Mark Mm -hmm. at the end of that narrative. And I wrote on a blog on my, my personal blog, which, you know, I'm scared to death of writing right now and hopefully I'll get over that, but I'm at where I'm at. So I haven't written much (laughs) past then, um, but I did and I wrote it was my complicity and my repentance in saying how I couldn't be a part of systems and structures that um would buy their way onto the New York Times bestseller. It was like SoundScan in the music industry and how right. people would find ways to sell more records at, at the local shops or something in order to up SoundScan numbers. I hated that crap then. I didn't like it. I didn't want anything to do with yep. it. I felt it was a lie. And people justified it, and it's fine. It was what it was. But I didn't like it, and my conscience wasn't clear with it. So when I hold, heard about this New York Times bestsellers list, which was in August a couple years ago, I heard about it. I was horrified, and mm. I brought it to my local the the guy that I worked with. I was a pastor at Mars Hill at the time, mm-hmm. and they basically said, for one, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know the whole story, but they didn't tell me the whole story. And then, <laughs> and then two. Um, sure. They said it was justifiable, okay, best, like, business practice, and people do it all the time. Well, which means it would be no big deal for me to write about it or mention it, right? Like, it's no big deal that it comes out according to that story, if that's what they meant. So then I write this blog and say, I just can't participate in these systems and structures that do things like buy their way onto the New York Times bestseller list. And I was confessing my own complicity to some other things and these things that... I had conviction about, mm-hmm. I get calls to basically repent of my own repentance from my friends and people that were <laughs> my pastors at Mars Hill. And, um, it was, uh, that's when I was ostracized and belittled. And then late, and it was the same week that Janet Mefford came out with the, that stuff about the, uh, um, plagiarism and all these other things started happening and the whole thing started crumbling.
0: Who's Janet? Is she like a reporter or somebody from the church? She's or? a reporter. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's who did it.
1: I think her name was Janet Mefford. Uh, You could look it up online. But anyway, all that stuff started happening. And um, suddenly, like, I'm another public enemy, sort of number one from this community that I had. I had my convictions and they were different. And they had justified them to me by saying it was normal business practices and all these things. And suddenly I'm in the wrong and called a gossip. And it was pretty terrible, man. It was brutalizing and difficult to, to bear. And it's been a rough couple years now it's just been um disorienting uh mm-hmm. how long are you there for like 17 16, years 16 17 years yeah something like that yep it, wow like I, I can't even looking back like i don't know what what was i thinking i mean it became so <laughs> exclusive like the church is simple the church is god's people yeah. like that's it
0: and who is that's a lot of people who is, who is god's people uh, anybody who wants to come
1: yeah exactly it's kind of crazy <laughs> and so Wow. Why did I have this high value of church being something other than that? Like I, I still to this day like it's disorienting because I'm like it makes me ill to think some of the things that I adopted and and believed, mm. and I don't even know how. And it's not Mark's fault. It's my fault. Like <laughs> it's not. Right. He didn't. He might have said some things, but I took it how I took it and and wrestled with it and came to a conclusion that. I no longer can stand in any good conscience with those conclusions. I just can't. Yeah. And so, foolish, yes, I am foolish like all men. Um, um, naive, yes, I am naive like all men. Like there's all those things, and it manifested itself in some poor ways. And one of the one of the interesting things was. Um, you know, like at one point I played a lot of music there. Me and Matt both did and we helped develop some of the early stuff going on there and mm-hmm. they started talking like what is worship music and how should it be used and all these things that I was so comfortable in before, like just being who I was and knowing that I loved Jesus and was worshiping God and suddenly I wasn't good enough to be on that in that musical thing that the church was doing as it was growing. Like suddenly there was better people and <laughs> right. and that was hurtful. I could have left sure. then. I could have left when I was so when the the um, paradox we were running that club when they shut it down. I literally, I mean, you were you were around like when well, Teresa was yeah. pregnant. Yeah, um, it was August uh, 2000, 2002. and yep. Teresa just quit working at Tooth and Nail. Um, hmm. September, Octavia's born, and we buy our first house in August when she quit at Tooth and Nail. And our first daughter is born in September. And then in October, I'm essentially let go because my job was specialized.
0: Running the paradox, right?
1: Yeah, running the paradox because they were shutting it down and consolidated. I just assumed that I'd have a job um, because we were all kind of in this together and it was a family-oriented kind of thing,
0: I thought. But they would take care of you or whatever.
1: Yep, and that was not the way that it played. They did do like a severance for... Um, better than like most places like i basically worked till the end of the year and then after that they um i had like three months severance or something which was quite generous that's pretty nice and they let me Mm -hmm. go they didn't have to do that so that was cool in one way taking care of us but at the same time that life dramatic led me down this weird path of for one i learned that i had been neglecting you know teresa was the first of our friends to have kids so she's at home alone Mm -hmm. by herself um because all of our friends still went to shows and Um, partied and did what we did and played in rock bands so she's alone with our daughter postpartum depression Mm. and i'm rehearsing for you know my bands and playing shows and trying to get a job and doing all this stuff I, i was basically very neglectful of my best friend and nobody was there including me and um later that narrative comes out and that's when I was talking about that sort of like crushing weight kind of, of anxiety of trying to make a name for myself. Cause I still believed like, no, I'm going to play music and it's going to mean something. And look at, look at how well, you know, modest mouse and death and all these bands, I'm at least that good. And like, whatever, what a jerk, man. Like I was (laughs) basically, and you knew me at that time. So you can attest to some of that, like coming out in some negative ways as well as, as well as, you know, I was still an okay person probably to my friends and stuff, but There was that insidious thing inside of me that wanted more and was dissatisfied with what I
0: had and was given, which was beautiful. I just had a brand new daughter that's the message of the marketing and the culture that's we're constantly bombarded with so it's not like it's a mystery how we all get sucked into that i mean that's what yeah, everything totally. all the messages are right you're not good enough you're not pretty enough you're not skinny enough you're not you know you don't have enough stuff you're you, yep you, you deserve to be on the bus uh you you deserve to be on the better shows with the bigger bands you've worked hard you know all that stuff
1: and the crazy thing is so what ended up happening is i got a job finally and then um eventually i quit suffering in the hideous thieves they actually did this record as just the Hideous Thieves that never came out. That's a freaking amazing. Um, oh really? Huh. Yeah. It's I don't know if it's online somewhere, but it's just called the Hideous Thieves. And and um, yeah, who was left in the band at that time? And they they experimented. They all sang, and they're all some of them. Seth in particular is a much better singer than I was. He played violin, and they huh. also got rid of all the guitars. And huh. um, one of the guys played accordion and one of the guitar players played a saxophone because he played saxophone Mm -hmm. and one of them you know we had violin in that band and um they had no guitars all bass and drums and various other instruments and sounds it was really really cool it's a great album i wish somebody would have put it out but um (laughs) it didn't happen and anyways so i quit i quit that because literally the last record that band did was um i took my paternity leave from my job so bella was born my second daughter mm-hmm. the next day i'm in the studio finishing our record and recording it and took my paternity leave for a week so once again our second daughter is born and Teresa's is totally alienated i was a terrible shitty husband and father and so music was basically this thing controlling me mm-hmm. and dictating my life and all my decisions were based around it. Mm. And what you call that, you you call that in Christian circles, an idol. Um, so right. and 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 <laughs> in, in my story, that thing had yeah. become this thing that was killing me and all my relationships and my family and everything in order, because I thought that it was who I was. So I was defined by something I did instead of yeah. just enjoying something that I got to do. Yeah. And so, um, at that point, was a huge change in my life where I actually stopped playing music. I put it down and I felt like I was in another crisis. I felt like I was an identity crisis. Like Mm -hmm. suddenly this Jeff suffering character that (laughs) was a joke when we made it up became uh, (laughs) a, this crux of my life. And
0: who am I now? What do I do now? Totally. And, and you know,
1: Mars Hill was there, you know, I'd already gone through a lot with stuff there and my community was there. And we had this narrative of idolatry and repentance from idolatry and these things and what was sad was that i wasn't walked through and affirmed musically instead it was evil because the way that i took it Mm. and uh, my hopes is now post that is to present young musicians with the the option and the freedom that do what you love and and enjoy the opportunities that you have in the context Mm. you have them including like your music's not so important like it's just a thing you do it doesn't define you it's something you do you get to do do it while you can enjoy it and you know even more so enjoy the relationships with the people that god places in your midst particularly those close to you like yes my and like your spouse <laughs> totally she has seen the brightest
2: light she- Stop.
1: not everybody's story right that they're like this musical asshole like i i became (laughs) but um that's my story and so i relate to it and and mars hill like um was there as a community and there's a lot of things and i think that things could have happened differently but um i feel like it was always that trauma and newness and having these believers around you that were willing to to point towards um Christ as being your satisfaction and joy mm-hmm. was super helpful and, and and I wish we would have done it in a much more constructive way in hindsight yeah. and now that I've learned I think that I can like being present with somebody and not giving them what they should do but giving them the truth of that they are loved and that they're known. And I'm actually embodying it by being with you when you're a pain in the ass (laughs) and going through your shit, which sucks. I'm right here with you because I do love you and I care that speaks volumes. And those were the reasons why I think Teresa and I were there, regardless of what was said. It's, it's that we had a community Mm -hmm. and we had a people that was our people. Um, and now I realize that my people, man, like, Post that, like I always had people. I had you, yeah. you know. You're clear across the country. <laughs> you're my people. Yeah. Like I freaking had all the punk rockers I grew up with. That they were my people. That's right. Didn't matter if they knew Christ or not. Like I'm not. I, I'm an. You know. In some ways, right, an alien to this world. But at some ways, I'm totally right at home. Like this is where God has yeah. me. And
0: well, I don't. I, anyway. I don't feel like you should be too down on yourself, man. You were number nine on the uh, relevance. Christian pop punk glory days uh, album list. Yeah, you know what I was
1: surprised not to see, I was surprised not to see Value Pack on there. I, I thought, know, man. I thought for sure. Like why 90 pound Wilson not Value yeah, Pack? I mean, like that's what jalapeno, I was thinking. Like, that's was like, that's a classic. Totally. There was some there was it was interesting to see that <laughs> particular because I oftentimes forget that first album because you know my favorite is the last sure. one and that's where I you know and that that has depth but it's funny because i used for years i was embarrassed kind of of that first record but now listening back to it like i think there's some solid stuff there and it's I love great it. yeah it's great it was fun it was good times well
0: listen i know you gotta get going yeah. and i gotta get going but yep. um why don't you just briefly tell me what you're doing now with your artist reformation thing if you can
1: oh yeah yeah so i uh, um started a few years ago um about four now so i felt uh like that i wanted to. Um, do church oriented stuff. And this is what, one of the reasons I became a a pastor elder guy at Mars Hill downtown when I was there is I wanted to do church oriented stuff, but I didn't want to be confined to that. So um, I didn't want the job role and description that they had offering at Mars Hill. And plus I probably wouldn't get hired. I wasn't qualified (laughs) anyway. (laughs) So, um, but I wanted to do that and I wanted to be more involved in the culture. And I was leading this um, study group, well it was it wasn't really stu- we did lots of stuff it was this we hung out there was about 50 people that would come on and off throughout and we'd meet once a week and we'd study the bible and then we'd do like some art galleries space in this ad hoc thing and um a lot of folks just i felt it's so even arrogant now but um i felt like um there was i was sort of the person who was like that figure within the community that people would come if they were having problems and all that so sort of that pastoral type figure um, I should have just started a damn church, <laughs> is what I should have done. Left Mars Hill, yeah. started a church. But anyways, the the it felt like um, this group of people we ought to do something, and so I basically decided I'd start raising support as a missionary in the city of Seattle. So I I hooked up with this organization called Reliant now that um, I work for, and um, it allows me to do multiple things. So I started this arts nonprofit that is called Artist Reformation, and the idea behind it is less about the shit we get done and much more about having community and relationship and being known and being loved because a lot of um, creative folks end up in solitude a lot of times and um so one of the ways we do that is by working on projects together so we have various different projects that we've done and one of the cooler ways that we've done it this last year it started in january is we have a house that eight different artists live in and they're all believers and so there's a component of doing life together and one another in each other and just being there um cool and so that's one of the things that i did from that another thing is i'm involved in a church called a seattle church and it's um you know the idea is that there's one church in our city and it's jesus's church and the our sort of tagline is um um be loved live Mm -hmm. loved and the idea is that we're loved by God, and so, yeah, let's love one another, and it's been great. It's been really cool paradigm shift in a lot of ways, and um, so I I do some stuff with, with them. I did start a little church gathering in my neighborhood for a while, but it it was just better for my family and everything to kind of stop doing that and go, um, just be a part of something else that was already happening with people. Mm -hmm. I already knew tons of friends, there, former Mars Hill people and tons of new friends. And, um, and then I work with this organization called redemption group networks a little bit. And, um, it's more of a biblical counseling type of thing. It was started by a friend who started it at Mars Hill, who was a pastor there. And, um, it's, gone on to be its own thing. And I think it's really beautiful. It's about, um, it, we go through the Exodus, the book of Exodus, um, in small groups and talk about, um, how much God loves us, just like he loves Israel as they build a golden calf and demand food from him. And well, didn't they just, didn't they just cross the red sea and he wipe out their enemy? Yes. He did that for you too. Like wherever you're at, he loves you. And so there's some gentleness and and some, it's for, it's kind of when you're feeling stuck and maybe complacent about your faith. So I do those things. And I've been working on a band for the last couple of years called Dry Bones, D-R-Y-B-N-Z. I got to send you some stuff. Um, But Dry Bones, it's with Joe Mandanka who lives in um, Vancouver, Washington right now. And he sends me these noise tracks. Like they're mm-hmm. pretty noisy and they got kind of like, it's pretty cool. I really enjoy it. And then I just Write words and holler over them and record them with a friend and someday we'll actually put something out, but life kind of gets busy and then we forget about it and put it on the back burner and eventually it'll happen. That's prob that's probably okay that it's on the back burner. <laughs> it's totally okay. There's so much going on and a lot of people that I feel connected to and, you know, my own health and spiritual growth is, is one that's changing and really important to me right now because of just where I came from and the hurt. And um, I want to minister to the folks that are hurting and be with them and, You know, this, the city in the Christian circles is really weird right now in Seattle because that thing Mm -hmm. got so big, so fast, unexpectedly in the least likely place that it should happen. And then it completely blew up. So every church around here is filled with these sort of refugees that have this story and they don't really know because almost every other church thought that we were a bunch of (laughs) (laughs) shitheads assholes, and they were right, but they've been gracious and kind and loving and it's been real, a real embodiment. Of what I see in Scripture of the church loving um, people because they they've been accepting of us like a our church meets in a e- Queen Anne United Methodist Church and you know um they're a lot different than from where we came from and and there's a f- female pastor which I am totally egalitarian <laughs> now so that does not bother me um and there's uh you know just some different value systems and we've really learned to grow and love e- and respect each other and um I see that playing out a ton post-Mars Hill is that other people and churches have been really gracious, you know, and I've heard stories about people being like upset that it feels like they're being invaded and that's too bad. I, I, but the, the most, the bigger narrative is that we have a home that maybe just maybe he'll make all things new. Yeah, totally. Amen. Yes. So yeah, I that's, that's what I've been up to. Hopefully you'll get to hear some Suffering, screaming. I think <laughs> at some point again. I have been enjoying doing it. It's been cathartic. I've been writing about a lot about this yeah. situation with the church and and the things that I feel and have been experiencing and the things that other people have been feeling that I don't know what to do with. And um, that's the majority of the context
0: yeah. of the songs. Well, it was so great to talk to you today Jeff. It's been way too long and and I really appreciate you being open and vulnerable and willing to share, you know, every little part of all that stuff and I know it's been a struggle and and been a difficult time and honestly it was just great to see you and and to talk to you. Please give my love to Teresa. Yeah, you too Bill man. <laughs> Thanks. Jeff Becker, everybody. My old and dear friend has certainly given us a lot to think about today. We will all be furiously Googling terms like atonement, exegetical, heresy, and inerrancy. Or maybe we could just go out into the world and authentically love people, serve people, try to be humble, and just accept that we're all works in progress. Generosity, peace, patience, love, you know, the good stuff. Thank you so much, Jeff, uh, for sharing your story with us today. The music on today's show included Suffering and the Hideous Thieves version of There is a Fountain Filled with Blood from the album Rats in Heaven, Runnin' Hot from Thurlev by Raft of Dead Monkeys, Torment Intention by 90-Pound Wuss from Shorthand Operation, as well as God in Our Image, Body of the Unseen, and Vein of Eternity by Dry Bones, which is Jeff's latest musical project with Mr. Joe Mendonca. The Urban Achiever theme song was written and performed by Ethan Luck and Dan Spencer. As always, you can follow Urban Achiever on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Urban Achiever PC. You can email me anytime at billy at urbanachievershow.com. This show is 100% listener supported. If you like the show and want to give something back, please go to patreon.com slash achiever. Give a buck or two, a month, whatever you want. You can also purchase show t-shirts and coffee mugs at urbanachiever.gobigwin.com. And thank you so much for your support. This just in. Wait, wait, what's this? Is this a list of previously unannounced upcoming guests? Hmm, very interesting. Let's see here. Joel Bell from Goaty Hook. Matt Fox from Shy Hlude. um Mike Carrera from MXPX. Stay tuned, Achievers there's more, much more where that came from. Until next time, keep up the good work. I'm proud of you.